awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with me. You know, I really appreciate yeah, your time. It's a pleasure. Yeah. It's really a pleasure. So, no, it's, uh, it's good seeing you, you know, over the screen. Even, uh, you know, last time when we were in Canada here in February, there were so many takeaways from that conference we did for, for uh, two days. And, um, you know, there was a lot that came out of that, especially on the mixed double side. And so, you know, I just wanted oh, did to... I, did I give you the, the presentation on the mixed double? Because I lost it. I'm, I was so gone. Because one of my uh, our drive broke. They retrieved a lot of documents, but I didn't retrieve the mixed double. And I put a lot of time to put it. And it's gone. I've, I've downloaded all the presentations you sent me, so I'm pretty sure I can find it. Uh, that would be great if you yeah. can send it to me because I'm presenting a lot to the coaches. It's not next week, but I wanted to present on mixed double too, sure. one of the topic. And I think it was good because it was not necessarily funny, but a little bit of funny, you know, like yeah. a, yeah. and a, just, just enough to be, I think it was a nice presentation for when you present for a short period of time. I think it went well. Exactly. No, and you know, now that you're on the topic of the mixed double side, that was one of my things that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, with your experience in coaching mixed doubles uh, versus men's doubles or just women's doubles, uh, you know, Perfect. what are the sort of so just 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 to be sure before we forget, yes. I think I videoed the presentation, right? Yes, yes, and I will cut so it off. A few things, if you can send me the video, and if I send you the PowerPoint for any reason, if you have also the presentation, to send it to me, please. Of course, that would be really appreciate. Because I, I lost, I lost it. Yeah. I looked for it for an hour and a half and just lost it. I, I have the documents that you sent me, so whatever you sent me, I still have for sure. Perfect. Thank you, then. Of course. Okay, thank, so you. Now, thank you. So let's go. Let's shoot. Yeah. So let's go. Yes. So, you know, with your experience in mixed doubles versus doubles, you know, what are some of the key things that you see when you're, when you're working with players and how is it psychologically different? Because, you know, at a club level, mixed doubles is extremely popular. People play it all the time. And, uh, you know, they often approach it the same as just a regular doubles game. But, you know, we clearly saw in a lot of your examples that players do need to have a different mindset and approach to, to be really successful at playing with doubles. Yeah. So I will, I will not say this is what you should do because mm -hmm. who am I to say what you should do? I can tell you what I do, which will be real because it's what I do. So when I coach a mixed double, I, have a, I approach it in two times. First, I approach it as a team, and then I approach them each individually. So individually, I say to the girls, just keep him be, you know, make him be aggressive, remind him he can hit on the girl, because a lot of guys are uncomfortable. They don't want to hit on the girl, and yeah. or some are the opposite. They're just like so mean to win that they were going to even tag the girl. But okay. on the pro tour, there's no guys like this that will have their reputation to hit the girl on purpose. Mm -hmm. They're all good enough if they hit to hit beside the girl, if they right. play on her or to, to be nice. So that doesn't happen. What happens the most at the level I coach is the guy doesn't want to play on the girl and play too much on the guy. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because mm -hmm. the girl is at the net, he tried to avoid her instead of a... So that that's frequent. So I will say to the girl, be sure your guy is aggressive. Then I will go see the guy alone. And I say, just be sure, you know, you keep the girl happy, focus and all this. You know, the guy may ask her, just say, it's okay, wait for it. And it's okay if you put a lot of first serve, no. Even in the men's game, they win 80, 85%. So mm -hmm. if he wins 90, it's not a big deal, you know. So just try to lob it back, scrape it back, whatever you can. If the guy is a big server, they're not all big server, but it's to keep the girl happy and confident. Mm -hmm. And say, on the second serve, I'm sure you're going to handle it and we're going to do well. 
so just keep the the girl always happy. I I put like a Matek's son keep even Jamie happy, but I mean overall I I put the responsibility because Matek's son is so bubbly anyway. Mm-hmm. But I put more the responsibility in the guy to keep the girl kind of happy and feel good and be proactive. So I do that. And as a team, <clears throat> I make the guy talk about the other guy because they, he knows more what to expect, what to anticipate. And I make the girl talk about the other girl. So I, get, I create a team spirit by sharing input on each other. And then when I hear that, then I intervene as a coach and I give some common ground objectives on how to play. Mm-hmm. And I asked the girl, are you okay if you do eye formation? Are you okay if he does that? And especially when it's the first time. When they have played a few times, I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. But I check that. Is, is it okay if? Is it okay this? He likes to do that, uh, whatever. So I try to create as soon as possible <clears throat> a team spirit, a team going into the into the match with a game plan and, and how to play and stuff like this. So that's what I do so in many essence it feels like it's a normal doubles regarding the game plan but the content of the game plan is is quite different right so for example most of the guy that I coach all the British players do all serve and volley so when they play mix very few girls serve and volley so right away they will have to adjust and I give some teaching points to the guy how to deal with when their partners serve and stay back Mm -hmm. and what to do percentage that is how to squeeze the middle more even if they get burned so so the tactics change a tiny bit mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> very often in men's double both players are quite similar so i don't want to disrespect women's tennis but overall women's tennis will they will serve less hard than most of the men uh, they will have trouble to deal with a big kick serve that the men could do mm-hmm. more so they, there are few few things that in general, not every woman, because like in guests return well and even guys serve, so there's always exception. But in general, the woman will be a slightly weaker than the men at the professional level. Right. At the club level, the woman can be stronger than the men, so yes. that's not right. a big deal. So we have to take that into consideration that often and mix the level is not always the same. So at the club level is different. At the club level, the woman can be better could be same level or could be inferior or if you prefer the men could be stronger same level or inferior right. at the pro level it's a very rare almost never happened that we will say the guy is much weaker than the girl mm-hmm. at the pro level like a top 100 men top 100 women so the conversation is a bit uh, easier to anticipate of what i have to do Mm-hmm. So maybe it was too long of an answer for <laughs> what you asked, but, but you can always edit, you know, you can nah. just cut. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I, I know how long your answers can be, and uh, yeah, no, you sound it up well there. At a club level, we quite often see that players don't go for their shot because they do get labeled as mean or, um, you know, not being nice. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a big part of what you were saying there is, you know, if one player is weaker in doubles, whether it be doubles or mixed doubles, you're looking at going for that player rather than avoiding that. Now, you know, how can players mentally not think or worry about the consequence of hitting to the weaker player? Um, it's very difficult. Some guys are really terrible in mix because of that. Mm-hmm. They just can overcome that. So if I have to, uh, I have to help them. But in a case like 
guy like Jamie Murray or Joe Salisbury or a few doubles players that I have, mm-hmm. they're not like power player. They're more precision player. So for Jamie to serve and volley beside the girl, like in the tram line and all this is quite easy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so it doesn't look mean because he plays the ball mm-hmm. and his ground these also, he can dink at the girl, then the girl pops it up a tiny bit, then he can put it away mm-hmm. on the guy's side because you can, if you can put it anyway, then you very often take the chance to, not the chance, take the opportunity to put it away on the guy's side because mm-hmm. it will be a winner wherever you hit. Mm-hmm. So, it's more like when I coach on players who are heavy hitter, like hard hitter, uh, like a dumbing glut who, who struggle a tiny bit sometime in mix because he, he can hit very hard. And if he hits very hard at the girl and the girl misread the ball, mm-hmm. then he will feel terrible. He, he's a very true Brit, he's a gentleman, and he will feel like uh, he should never have done that. So he's not as comfortable. Mm-hmm. So then it's to, uh, it's to find a way to make him but it's tough to make him play not his game style, like just place it when the guy likes to hit hard. So it's a, finally it's how much do they really want to win. And uh, sometimes we make them hit like hard through the middle. So let's say you serve in volley and the return is very hard through the middle on deuce. You have to maybe stretch to make a tough back end volley to the middle. So if they don't like to hit at the girl, I say it hard through the middle. Normally the ball doesn't pass through there and the guy will not be comfortable on due side to do a backhand volley or on the outside to have to stretch to do a forehand volley. Right. So that works quite well with the hard hitter, I find. Mm-hmm. So precision hitter, they, they always can hit cross court, of course, but if you precision hitter to a down line without looking mean is easy. Mm-hmm. The hard hitter, I would ask them to hit a bit more through the middle. Mm-hmm. And if they miss a bit through the middle, it goes on, the, on a tough volley anyway for the girl. Right. And right. if it passed through the middle, the guy who serves in volley feels very uncomfortable because he's not used to cover that. Of course. And, and so, you know, you talk a lot about the, the trend lines and the doubles alleys and the middle of the court. You know, in doubles, how important is it for players to cover the sides of their, their court versus the middle of the court? And, you know, we often see players standing more to the sides of the court, being afraid of that pass down the line and, you know, leaving some of the middle open. You know, how do you get away from that? First of all, I always say it's legitimate to be fearful to get past in a trend line. Mm-hmm. Okay? So protect your trend line when the opponent has an easy ball. Okay. So you're right. But when the ball, the guy has a tough ball, don't protect your trend line because uh, if you go there and I'll feed you a ball exactly at the pace you can hit. So for a pro, I feed the ball very fast. And for a club member, a ball that is exactly same pace. And I say, let's see how many balls you're going to hit in the tram line. And normally it's not more than two or three. So I say, you can let them try. And if I say, if I give you a strategy that you win 70% of the point, will you take it? When you return, they say, of course. So I say, so if the return is quite offensive or deep, protect a bit more the middle and let them try to hit the ball in the tram line or an angle. It will be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So... This is mostly on the return or when the ball start to rally cross court because the club members, but now even at the pro level, 95% I think of the WTA players stay back and over 50% now of the males stay back. So when they start into an exchange uh, cross court, if the ball is very easy and the guy can attack as the net player to be more to the service line and protect the trend line, 
right. even at the pro level. Right. If it's neutralled to be like in the wall position, which is a bit more midway between a service line and the net player. But if the player is in trouble to get closer to the net and a bit uh, squeeze a bit the middle mm -hmm. so that they have a very tough shot to do, they cannot just neutralize back to the middle mm -hmm. because you take that shot away. So they have to go for a tough shot when they receive a tough ball. So that leads to a lot of errors and a lot of stress. Or if they play safe, then you're there to put the ball away. Mm -hmm. So I don't tell them, don't protect the trend line. But I don't tell them also to protect the trend line. So I try to create a good sense. It's like uh, when you play singles, you be always on the baseline? No. Should you be on the baseline? Yes. So <laughs> you're on the baseline when you're attacking, when you're dominating the play. But if you're in trouble, you retrieve a bit back to help your defense. So right. if the guy, if you're in defense, protect more your trend line. If you're not on defense, you're more on offense, squeeze the middle. So it's like a, a squeeze the middle in offense, protect your trend line in defense. In singles, squeeze the baseline in offense, back up on defense. So That's I explained cool. that logic so it makes sense to the players. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. good. And now you know that the Brits, have, when people serve in volley and uh, we assume their return is good, then same thing, the receiver's partner squeeze the middle and they have to get beat three times in the tram lines before they cover the tram line on a good return. And so far, I'm, I've been here for 13 years in Great Britain with uh, always a minimum of four players in the top 100. And now this year, we have seven players in the top 60. Wow. Uh, it never happened once that they got beat three times by the same player in the trend line. So okay. it's, uh, it's important to demystify yeah, this. Of course. Okay, but if the ball is easy, it's an easy setter, you don't move forward, squeeze the middle. Mm -hmm. So it's just recognize when you're in offense and when you're in defense for both going forward or staying back or staying more to the right or more to the left. Right. And I think right. it's the job of the coach to explain that properly. Right. And sort of, like you said, to domestify that situation where, you know, players often go, oh, I've been passed all the time now I'm through the alley, whereas it may have just happened once or twice. And then they... Once or twice, and it wasn't an easy ball, which you should have protected when exactly. it's Exactly. Right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> now, with all the players that you're playing uh, or working with, within the LTA as well as, you know, what we see at clubs. We, we deal with hundreds of adults who are playing doubles. You know, what makes a really good doubles partnership? How do you go into a agreement that you will be playing with someone else? And, um, you know, is it, is it really, is it basically only on one skills or is it on the personality types or you know, what, what are some of the things that, that you look at when putting teams together? Uh. What's a good partnership? I can tell you so many partnership where each player were aiding each other. And I don't want names because some of them were Canadian players. Right. <laughs> and they had a great right. career. They, they won slam. They, won, they were winning a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it doesn't mean that you have to love each other because it could be a business partnership. Mm -hmm. So what's, But it's better if you have fun. Of course, a club member, please find someone you relate well because it has to be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the professional, it's more about money, points, and career. And if you don't like someone, but you think you can do very well, sometimes you can deal with it. But when you get out of the court, there's no dinner together, no party together. It's just like a business relationship. Right. But I would always recommend that find someone that you get along well. Mm -hmm. Second, normally people try to uh, use people who contrast their game style. Like uh, I think Canadian people know Jamie Murray. 
Uh, Jamie Murray is a net player. Is this he doesn't really necessarily at hard, but he played a net, so he needs someone who will set him up at the net. So he likes to play with hard baseliner hitter like Bruno Suarez and now Neil Skupski, who can return solid hard and then he can shine at the net. So a good contrast of style. So Jamie will learn. I will love a lot. The other guy will hit hard a lot. So that it keeps the players a bit destabilized. Because if they were playing two hard hitter or two lovers, then you can adjust, but it's destabilizing to have to adjust a lot. So very often you go for a contrast of style, that's where. Now the difficulty with the contrast of style where the coach has to be aware, it's often in a sport there's a the blame game. So if you play with me because I have a big serve, and me, I played with you because you had a great return, mm-hmm. okay, because I don't have a great return, but you, you because I don't have good serve, we complement each other. It's easy to blame, like, gee, we, did, we lose because, you know, he could not hold his serve. <laughs> and then you say we lose because he has some opportunity on second serve to uh, make the points that he didn't. Mm-hmm. So we just have to accept our differences. And it's very important that you win as a team and you lose as a team. That's, it should be put right away forward. I know it seems obvious. I know it seems a cliche. But if there's a blame game at the pro level, you can bet that there's some blame game at the recreational and the member level. So I think it's the job of the coach also to establish you are different. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you would wish that your partner serves as hard as you, or you will wish that your partner returns as well as you, Mm -hmm. but it won't happen. And that's why I put you together because you complement each other. So I used to win a lot of the inter-club teams when I was working at Nantes Tennis Club mm-hmm. and in doubles I, I used to like to put a good singles players with a good doubles players. I find if I was putting recreational player, let's say both of us, we love to play at the net and I'm getting older and they would love us quite a lot and then we chase the ball back, it's just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. If we're both at the baseline, we make great shots and they can just block it back in the middle to get out of trouble. Mm-hmm. But I find that if you have like a, a Suck and a Brian together when they dominate uh, the tour, the year that Bob was injured. A uh, guy with hard and guy at the net to put the ball away and they complement each other. I thought for a club member, that was very good. So I, I used to build all my women's team and even some men's team with a good singles players and a good doubles players. I find at that level that was winning a lot. That's a, now it, it's, it does win even at the pro level, not that format. But of course, I coach real doubles players. I believe that two good doubles players, right. like the last slam won by uh, Joe Sainsbury and Rajiv Brand, two good doubles players can win two. Right. And you could have two good singles players winning two. So this is what it's fun now. Mm-hmm. Everything goes. Mm-hmm. In the past, if you stay back on your serve, you look like stupid. Now it's fine. If you're both back on the return, you look like uh, you're, you're not brave enough to bet the net. Now it's fine. If you were loving, what is that loving? Now, if you love, it's fine. If uh, you, you can do everything, uh, you, everything goes now, which is, I think, very good for the members mm-hmm. and very good for, and but very good also for the coach because we always want as a coach to individualize our coaching, okay? Mm-hmm. And in singles, it was easy to individualize the coaching, but the coach were asking the same thing to every player in double servant volley, be there, get the net. Right. So they were not really individualizing the coaching. Now we can individualize the coaching because there's a lot of ways you can play doubles as singles players, one back, two back, 
You can play a lot of regular, you can play only I, you can, it, everything goes. Everything goes. Everything goes. So I think it makes doubles more exciting now, much more exciting. Yes, and it is more exciting when you're watching uh, matches of the beers that are being streamed right now. Um, you know, there's a lot more variety and it's less, yeah. um, less things can be expected from every single point. Now, yeah. when players going into the matches, let's say it's a doubles team and you're talking about individualizing it, um, you know, how much focus is there on your team's strategy and the focus on what are we going to be doing today on the court <clears throat> versus here's the opponent's weaknesses or here are the opponent's strengths? What's the balance between focusing on your own strengths and weaknesses versus your opponents, whether you know the opponent or sometimes you don't know the opponent at all? Okay, so there are several words in your questions. Yes. I would like to tackle, tackle one after the other. Sure. I think people uh, misunderstand strategy and tactics. Mm -hmm. So personally, I want to develop the players with a tactical development that whatever happened, they know how to handle it. Okay, so it's not just strength and weakness. So they know how to play people who stay back. They know how to do when both players stay back, they volley to the back and so that. They know what to do when people do I, when they poach a lot, when they do this, when they do that. Mm -hmm. They know how to play lefty on the deuce, lefty on the right. We have covered every situation that can happen with the opponent. We also cover every situation with the score, how to play super tie break, tie break. We know how to play a different surface, different environment, different and space and time. So we have done a tackle that is what we call like the DNA of British tennis is to play like this. So what is strategy? It's just to tackle one or two things that we may decide. And it may not be with strength and weakness. It could be today because it's very windy. We're going to do this and this a bit differently. Today, we play two guys who stay back. So look to uh, prepare more for doing drop balls a bit more than usual. Today uh, is this, today is that. So it's mostly to what is important today. And it could be based on the opponent on their strength and weakness. It could be based on the environment. It could be based on the fact that we're underdog or the dog. So as underdog, the game plan could be different. It could be based on several factors, but not just on the strength and weakness. Okay, okay. So, okay. Yes, of okay. course. And so if you are the underdog and going into a match, how is that different to being the dog? <clears throat> okay, so let's say uh, you play me and you're the dog. Okay. If I'm your coach, I'll say, heroes, just go there and really impose your match. And I'm going to give you a few objectives to keep you motivated so you don't get bored. So I would like you today to look more to poach as receiver's partner. You know, these guys are not as good. So as soon as your partner hits the ball hard, there's no way that guy can redirect a bullet in the trend line. So I expect you to poach a lot. So I'll give you a lot of tasks so that you're challenged by the match because I challenge you to do things a bit more. So I'll keep you like, I put the, right. some demands because what I, I want is to create always a peak performance state with my players. I want them to learn to compete well. And the danger to be the dog is to get a bit less challenge, less intense, less peak performance because you know you're going to win without having your A game because mm -hmm. you, you're much better. And I don't like that. I want that they come and get the job done and be very clinical. <clears throat> so I will just stress about imposing your game style. So a few things maybe on the opponent but it could, it could be very simple, okay, very simple. Okay. When you're underdog, and this time you play me and you're the underdog, the game plan will be much more complicated. 
first of all, I will never say like some coach, you, oh, you're playing the first seed, okay? You have nothing to lose. It's going to be a good experience. Go and go for your shot. Never. So I say, okay, on paper, you have about 20% chance to beat that guy. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or the, these guys in doubles. Right. And I, I show that it's not always the team first seed or second team who win the tournament. Therefore, there are upsets. So why not you doing an upset? So now we're going to do a game plan to give you 40% chance of winning the match. You're still underdog, but it's better than 20. How will you achieve that? Then I go through each, each roles. As a server, I would like you to serve more often I or more often regular, whatever it is, based on the opponent. I'll give you a on returns. I would like, because they do this and this, to do more of that or more of this. When you add the net, I think these guys like to return power cross court. You're going to squeeze the middle and make them feel they have to hit like more precise. Let's get, let's get them out of their comfort zone of the way they play. Mm-hmm. When you return second shot, you're going to do more of this. So uh, it go more in detail because the philosophy is to how to win a few more points when we serve, how to win a few more points when we return, how to win a few more points when we're both at the net, and once to win a few more points when we're both back. And I showed them that most of the match finished with four or six points win more by the opponent. So I say, what about if we can win eight points more than we would have done usually? It may bring the match 50-50. Mm-hmm. So be ready to win because I would not like I give you a game plan, then you're in a position to win and you say, oh my God, and then you get tight and then right. you know it happens a lot. So I want you to really believe that if you follow that game plan, you increase your chance of winning. And when you're going to be in a match point situation, this is what you do. So I give them a, a specific game plan for closing the match, which I will not give you if you're the dog, because why should I stress you of closing the match? You'll close the match anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you're underdog at on one, when they start to play a top team and they're in a position to win, that they get stressed. So I prepare them, preform them. And when you're going to be in a position to win, this is what you're going to do. And I think it's very important. So when they get in a position to win, they're not stressed. They, they know what to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's very important because I, I coach so many teams to get to the top. So what do you think they have to do to get to the top? doing upsets all the way up, you know? <laughs> so, so I have to make them believe that they can achieve upsets. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it, so. And so, you know, within that, it, you know, it sounds like a lot of it comes down to confidence and, and giving them that confidence that, that, well, like I said earlier, that they can handle with whatever comes their way. Um, yeah. So, you know, players will have anxiety sometimes on both ends. When they're the stronger player playing someone they should not lose against, um, at the same time, they'll have that anxiety going into a match against a stronger player too sometimes. So, yeah. you know, what are your ways of, of helping players deal with that anxiety when they're going into matches? Uh, first of all, it's where you go in the, if you go in the, cal- in the match like too calm, it's not normal. Mm-hmm. So to have a little uh, adrenaline, to have a bit like the, I don't know the word you use in English, to have the jitters or whatever. The jitters. What the, word you- the jitters. jitters. Butterfly. Uh, or to... Uh, have the nervous uh, Lou before, you know, <laughs> I think it's all normal. And I think the artists have that and all that. But as long as it's not debilitating, you know, like I think an artist, they have a bit like nervousness, performance pressure kind of going that. I think they have that. And I think it's normal that a tennis player have that. And I'm in the locker room in Davis Cup. Like if Andy goes, if he's a champion going to the court, 
even if you're supposed to win the match or not, you 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 are in a special type of a preparation. You're not just uh, like this. Mm -hmm. So that's completely normal. It's when it impairs your performance that it's not normal. <clears throat> so there's a few things that I like to do. First, everything is based on readiness. And I really believe that it sounds like a cliche. The only thing you control is your attitude, your effort out there. I know the famous cliche line, mm -hmm. just get it all, all out there and if focus on the process and the outcome will take care of itself. It's a true cliche line, but you have to make the player believe in it, not just by saying it once. And I'm sure like a guy like Nadal, you know, when he talks, who's going to be a, he's very good. He's going to be a very, very, very difficult. But, uh, you know, but I'm going to give all out there and let's see what happens. Okay, and what happens, a lot of good things. But they have to, what they can control is their attitude, their effort, and their game plan. And that's all they should do. Then for the score, <clears throat> if you went to the Australian Open, I don't know if you did, uh, Labor put a big sign. It is when you're ahead, you're in trouble. As that being, mm -hmm. the opponent will always raise their game if they're a real competitor. Right. So don't slack, you know, keep the pedal down. Don't let them mm -hmm. get back into the match. Mm -hmm. So this is how I explain to play the score to the, all the doubles players I work. When you're ahead, put pressure. Don't let them like get back into the match because they will do that. Mm -hmm. They will do whatever it is to change the momentum. So just keep putting the pressure. Don't let them. Mm -hmm. If the score is even, put the pressure on so that they'll be the first one to crack. You know, like you get a little knock on the stone, little knock and suddenly you get a piece. So just keep doing it. If you're behind, a lot of players, not like you, like you're keep putting pressure, may protect the lead. Put pressure and turn the momentum around. And if you can do a break and it becomes even, it's not really even. You came from behind, you have the momentum on your side. Everybody feels that. So there's only one way to play, guys, with the score. You put pressure, you put pressure, you put pressure. Mm -hmm. head eagle and all this and if you keep repeating that and if you keep praising them after a match and if you always talk about that it becomes who they are and as soon as you have developed a label or an identity one this is the way they behave now under pressure or when they're tired they see themselves like always raise my game at the end and stuff like this mm -hmm. so this is a, a belief that i'm sure you heard me saying I always play my best at the end and I give a specific tactics to play super tiebreak. And last year, if you watch uh, the ATP stats, the top five teams yeah. for winning super tiebreaks, there was four teams, including Brits in that. Wow. Because super tiebreak, that's the end of the match. Raise your game. How will you raise your game? First, be in the present, connect, increase your athletic height, look, uh, look even more like a this be in the process, focus on each point. Mm -hmm. Be sure, focus on the ball, make the return, not win the point of the return. Mm -hmm. Make the return, make the serve, but not make the serve in terms of don't miss the serve. It's really <clears throat> make the shot. You know, be very solid. So it's more about being solid. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I like uh, to say, uh, so Euros, you can win. Yes. And I will say like, I can win. Mm -hmm. And I will say you as the opponent, maybe you can lose, can play bad or poor that day, mm -hmm. but me, us, we won't lose because we're going to play just high presentation, solid and all this. So we have two chances to win the match because we can win and you can lose. It gives us two chances. Mm -hmm. And you have only one chance 
it's to beat us because we won't lose to you. <laughs> you have to beat us. We won't lose. Yeah. So the percentage of first serve of the Brits in Super Tybrick are often around 80%. They mm -hmm. make the returns, they make this, and they, their philosophy is gonna play, we're gonna play solid each point, then we're gonna raise our intensity, we're gonna raise our awareness, our focus, at the end, we're gonna raise our level, regardless of what happened before. We're gonna raise that and let's see what happened. Mm -hmm. And what happened is we had four Brits in the top five on the super tiebreak. And and you don't achieve that just by talking once around a coffee. Right. No, it has to be repetitive, a praise. Mm -hmm. They win a super tiebreak, you praise how they did it. They lose a tiebreak, you say, here, you try some low percentage shot here. So that's not solid. You try to play for making a winner, not to put them in trouble. So you are focused on the outcome a bit too much. You have to be disciplined, mm -hmm. focus on the process. And if you keep talking like this, after a few months, you, you, you get there. Mm -hmm. You get there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's to have a, so it's not to sh talk to once in a while, focus on the process. Once in a while, you have to really live it, talk about it until they embrace it and until it becomes a reality. That's how you play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, you know, over the last couple of months, while players didn't have much of a chance to like, train and uh, certainly compete, it, it was not an easy time and it's been a time of adjustment for everyone. You know, what were some of the things that you had your players do or, you know, what were you doing as a coach as well with them um, to keep, keep up their improvement or to challenge them? Uh, most, uh, most of it was to maintain not their tennis, but their athletic side. Okay. So what I've did, because uh, I'm lucky I work for the Federation, so we have a lot of uh, good people. I send exactly the demand, the physical demand of the doubles players. So I take some of the best, the best servant volleyer, and I show that uh, to the fitness SNC group, mm -hmm. that they have to make the volley inside the service line. So that's a 20 feet sprint. Okay. Okay. Then sometimes I have to volley and I show the video clip and the tram line and then recover in the middle before the opponent hits. So they have to cover because we know the distance exactly 18 feet from the double tram line to the middle line, 18 feet before the guy hits like in less than one second. So to and show the quality of the recovery step and the crossover to get there. On the return, I showed the lunge. A lunge on the men's game should be like six feet and a woman's game sometimes five feet. So I show the quality of lunch if they want to have good return. And I show all the key and to maintain their athletic height all the time for a long match. At the net, it's even more intense that when you play singles, you have to be low and more short. So I send to the SNC, I say, this is the athletic qualities that I really want to see even improve, but not 1% not down. So they prepare, uh, based with the videos, a program to sustain exactly the athletic ability that people need. Exactly that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, some players had find a way, and I, I don't know if they were allowed or not, but they find private courts where yeah. they could go and just sit with someone and nobody knew about it. Where there's a will, there's a way. <clears throat> yeah, but so, so they, they still hit a tiny bit. Mm -hmm. And maybe 50% uh, could, maybe 50% cannot. Mm -hmm. So again, not through me, through the SNC, there was a protocol to come back, go there one session, this certain time, uh, be a, uh, worry about blisters and this and this, like cash and uh, do this. 
So to make it short, during the breakdown without any tennis, it was fitness mm -hmm. and they could watch tennis and some did a lot of scouting. So uh, I will not name the players, but they say, okay, I'm back. These are the teams we had trouble to beat and they watch like four or five matches. They make clips and scouting and then they sent me the scouting and for approval or not. And then sometime I, I said, what about this and this? And then we agree on the scouting. So they, they were active mentally and active physically. The only thing they were, could not do is hitting a ball. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then I suggest like to still do sometimes people throwing a short distance to have eye foot or eye head reaction like we do in the just before stepping on a cut and a court during a match. Right. A few things like this. Mm -hmm. And there was a protocol to come back. I think the uh, Tennis Canada, I've seen some videos of very, very good protocols who so give mm -hmm. that and they come back. And now as soon as they start to be outside there, they send me right away videos and I start to tell them right away, open your serve here, you're guiding a bit too much. Guiding means when the when the arms goes down like this instead of attacking and pronating as you go up mm -hmm. I say it's normal you want to control the outcome of the serve just attack the ball upward volleys this uh, it's a bit too jabby I feel your racket move more after so I help them to get back the, the feeling of their strokes the way they, it is but through video mm -hmm. uh, because most of all the national coach are back on the court the reason I'm not back right away there's two reasons one uh, I'm 67 and I have a long issue. I cannot risk to catch it because most people know what would happen. So, and I can uh, support them through video because they all have like a, a coach. I'm, I'm more like supporting all the teams. So I can do that without really, uh, and still helping the team. Mm -hmm. Like even all the tournament that will go in Great Britain, every court will be a stream. Like a stream, you say live stream? Live stream, yes. And I will be able to watch them and give them feedback. And if Cincinnati and US Open goes, every match will be also, and I will be able to uh, scout all their opponents and do a video analysis. Mm -hmm. So uh, I intend to support them That's great. Uh, through video analysis. But all the other coach who are young feels like, because like in UK, we had nearly like 40,000 dead right now. And there was only 335 below 40. So the young coach, like strong, healthy, like you, they said, okay, the worst, we're going to be health, fever, you know, like getting a pneumonia, but we won't die. So they're, I don't say they're not careful, but they're not like, uh, they're not feared catching it as much sure. as I would uh, for, because they're yeah. young, healthy, and they have all that. So they, they are already on the court. And the NTC have a strong protocol of taking the temperature and all this. So it's, it's very, very well uh, mm -hmm. secure. Same rules as you have in uh, with Tennis Canada. Mm -hmm. Just six balls, this mm -hmm. space. If we have six courts, it's court one, three, and five. And uh, we do all what it's required to to minimize the risk of uh, spreading the, the virus. Of course. And I mean, you're seeing players more doing work on their own. You know, with the with the wall or hitting against the wall, or um, yeah, we're doing fitness exercises, and so it's um, you know, the competitive side is a little bit more of a challenge because you can't have tournaments or couldn't so far, but now we're seeing that there's there's some of that being held. Um, you know, how do you keep that motivation up to train on your own during a time when you don't have competitive opportunities regularly? 
these players are often used to competing all the time or local players. Okay, also so what, what, I, what I tell them, I say, guys, we're so lucky. We're going to come back and almost nobody would have competed for three months. And we're such a great competitor. A lot of people are not great competitor. It's going to take them two, three tournaments. And what are the three tournaments? Sensi, US Open and French. Mm-hmm. So let's let's laugh. Let's say we start very strong and we do well at these three tournaments. Our ranking will sky rise. Yeah. And we know how to compete. We have our DNA. We know that whatever happens, we can handle it so there won't be any stress. You know our game is to create uncertainty to make them more stressed. And we have learned to anticipate and we predict pretty much what each game style do. Mm-hmm. So the chance that they experience more performance anxiety than yours are great. So let's take that as a great advantage for us to start strong. Mm-hmm. And remember, whatever you believe, it's true. If you believe you'll do well, good chance. If you believe you won't, good chance. So my chance, my st- my, ga- my coaching style is to pre-frame them thinking that it's going to be a great advantage for them. Mm-hmm. And when I do a game plan, normally I say, the reason why you're going to win this match or the reason why you're going to win 52% of the point in that match is because. So I always pre-frame and I always have uh, something in a line to remember when you're going to serve for the match to do this. So I always, without them realizing, I always have a sentence pre-framing that they're going to win this match. And of course, they don't win every match. Right. But uh, my job is to work at the level of belief that I really believe generally, and I do believe, of course, mm-hmm. that they're going to win the match. And this is what to do and the reasons why. And do that. So my job now is to make them believe that everybody is in the same boat but they are better captains and they will yeah. sell that boat better than people who are just rowers. Now, so it. it sounds like uh, there's a lot of uh, work around uh, creating a confidence, uh, demystifying <clears throat> situations, um, giving the players the tools psychologically, no matter what happens around them, they'll be able to deal with them. So, uh, yeah. you know, on the psychological side of things, uh, have a lot of your players been dealing also with some visualization or any sort of mm-hmm books that they're reading or is there is there a lot of psychological work sports psychology work that can be done without the competitive um environmental factors uh, that i i didn't uh, do that that much some were uh, offer like uh, mindfulness and all these tools because mm-hmm. yeah the lta was very nice with our players they send them a bike you know argumentic bike they they were having art monitor yes all their stats were going to the lta who could analyze our workshop and all this. They received medicine ball weight. They received like, I don't know, a thousand worth of equipment okay. to do at home. Okay. And they were monitored. If they had something, there was physio, like treat, not treatment, but assessment mm-hmm. through like video analysis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like this, at least it's more human than just on the phone. Mm-hmm. You have a contact. So we were very, very supportive of the players. And what I motivate the coach to do was to do a lot of scouting as well as the players, mm-hmm. do this, see what they could improve, prepare them of what will be the objective because we'll have a long training camp, mm-hmm. like about like uh, five weeks. What it's uh, the objective of the training camp were already assess, address. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of anxiety come from uncertainty or not knowing the future. Yeah. So we were just getting sure Everything is planned. This is the return. This is what's going to work. This is why when the competition will come, you'll be ahead. We're going to do like a month, like Jamie Murray already started the doubles tournament. 
that will be uh, covered by Amazon Prime uh, with the eight best doubles and, and GJBs. It will be GB tournament. And they will play uh, Evo, like the best singles players and the best doubles players will be on TV with prize money. So we're going to compete with the uh, home tournaments for since the end of, ju of June. Mm -hmm. So when, if the tournaments start in August, you know, they will be, we have to make them feel that they will be the best prepared through these tournaments, but also because of who they are and who they are developed. And I want to reiterate the belief that whatever happens, you can handle it. If some people have read the book, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. They say the antidote of anxiety or fear is to have a feeling that whatever happens, you can handle it. So right. how would you be stressed? But for that, you have to work hard in developing them. So like, you know, I have six pillars of tactics, me, my game style, my strength, my weakness, the opponents, space, time, environment, and scoring. So if you cover all this and everything that can happen, after a while, you really develop that belief. It doesn't happen in a week. But after, it takes me at least six months to develop a thing that they will start to have that feeling. And after a year or two, they really have that feeling that whatever happened, they can handle it. And mm -hmm. this is where they start to win. And I think this is why I think I've helped, uh, I don't know, about 30 players to get top 50 or even maybe 25, top 20 stuff. I guess I think that belief is key for uh, having success. Mm -hmm. And then every coach here could think about it in singles or in doubles. Did they develop their tactical development in a way that the players can handle everything? If so, congrats. If not, do something. Because I've go sometime in clubs where the kids train there for three since three years. And I say, have you see with your coach and all this how to play against a lefty? Or if you were playing a Spaniard that won one ball in your back end, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And they don't know what to do. So imagine they go in a tournament. It was never covered at the academy. So they will maybe not, if they don't know what to do, they'll be anxious. Mm -hmm. And then people were criticizing them to choke, but they don't know what to do. So mm -hmm. it's very important to cover. Or if the coach wait just before the match to say, oh, you play lefty, so you have to do this or that. Too much information just before to play. So it's not the time just before the match to make that coaching. It's during you're planning and too often academy do too much drilling and stuff like this and maybe not enough patterns playing and patterns tactical training and then they blame the player to not be smart or not play clever enough and almost no academy coach anticipation systematically mm -hmm. which is very very important to to do also mm -hmm. and there seems to be a lot of talk about the first three four shots of every single point and it looks like there's a lot of um statistics being shown that, you know, the point is won or lost within those uh, first few patterns. Has that sort of been part of what you're dealing with with your players as well in doubles or singles uh, and focusing uh, on the beginning of the what I, what I tell them is our, the points are much longer than before. So in the 1990s, the average was 1.57. So at the Wimbledon, the return was not in play 50% of the time. Now the return is not in play only 28% of the time. So the, the, so it's funny. So the, the way people present that is like the game is faster, quicker, shorter than before. The points are longer than before. So therefore, I was on the ITF coaching commission. We were having discussion to give only one serve, change balls, uh, make the service square shorter. We were discussing how to make the game slower because it was boring. The, the points were too short. Mm -hmm. And then I guess he came and won Wimbledon and people say, okay, let's, let's hold on now. 
you know, it seems like uh, people can win and suddenly games start, there is the, the big servers start to be less effective, the returners start to be more effective, the game balance, and without changing any rules, the games start to be more spectacular. Okay, so that's it. Mm-hmm. Now the stats are important because people don't practice serve and return. And when they practice the service without a return, they put like cans that you have to knock it down. So you see at the end, people practicing the serve when they're tired instead of practicing the serve like after 15 minutes when the coordination is fresh. Mm-hmm. And they practice hitting cans and nobody's returning. So they don't practice even to receive a ball. They don't practice recovering back after a second serve. So they, they don't practice really serve and return and that's too bad. So of these stats, which were the same or even worse stats before 20 years ago, uh, it should have been the same thing. Just please practice starting the point with serve and return. Practice also building the point both back. Practice also coming in and passing. Practice three dynamics of the point. Starting, no fighting in the baseline and coming and passing. Be sure you do that. And if you have to prioritize, prioritize the starting of the point. Then after that, the rallying, and then after that, passing and coming in order. That will be a very clean thing, and you don't have to back it up with three. Now, the insistence was so much on three or four that people think that shot three has to be an attacking shot. And when people lose their serve, it's because they miss shot three, especially on second serve, where they win only 40% of the point. Mm -hmm. So we should practice shot three dealing with a tough return and not just sending an easy ball to smack a winner. So people take the stats and they don't know how to deal with it. And I see in most of the clubs, shot three is to give them an easy ball to smack in a corner. Mm-hmm. So they don't, mm-hmm. because they don't say if the point finished three because it's always a winner. <laughs> it could be like the shot three is always a mistake, you know? <laughs> uh, so they don't, they don't get it. And I think stats doesn't make the story behind it. So we have to say after a first serve, you're going to attack or rally. Beyond a second serve, you're going to rally or defend. So when you train the shot three, be sure you cover all these aspects and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But there's another but. In order to develop work ethic, discipline, and to have a technique that then sustains fatigue and all this, sometimes you have to do interval training and hit the ball 10 balls, break 10 balls, break, to develop endurance, to be sure that your players can out-rally even if there's only 20% of the points, sometimes a point is decided by 2%. So uh, you have to be good in all aspects. And I like to feel that I develop technique to develop better competitors. That's when the technique needs muscle relaxation to avoid to get tight. It has to sustain fatigue, so you have to train a little, and it has to sustain effort when you're in full run, so your face is like, no, you're still in effort that breathe out and stuff like this. So if you want your technique to sustain pressure, fatigue, and effort, you cannot just give an easy short ball, uh, easy ball in the middle and just slack winners and never make them work hard and train, uh, stuff like this. So uh, anyway, the point is a lot of match are decided. Also, even if they are less frequent, like 20%, if you play Andy, if you play Djokovic, Nadal, you know you cannot hit winners by them. It puts a lot of stress because sometimes a second serve starts with a rally. And if you don't feel you can out-rally Nadal, what will you do? No, you're, you feel like there's no way you win the point. Mm-hmm. Because 
these stats are very nice, but match are often decided on the second serve when the points start. So it's easy to, oh, okay, an ace. Let's say we play, there was an ace. You miss, you miss, you make a winner in the third shot. This The stats are very low, but sometimes the match are decided like near the tie break and all this when there's second serve and the points start and you have to feel you're stronger than the other guy. Mm-hmm. You're stronger, you can beat the bounce beat the, this, you can move better, you're tougher physically, and when you start to be fatigued, you maintain your rhythm and momentum and the quality of your shot. Mm-hmm. And to have good work ethic, you have to train sometime in a way that doesn't mean that the match is like this. Like if you play table tennis, you may have a belt around you of 10 pounds to jump. So you would say, but you don't play in a match with the 10, yeah, but if you want to push your limits mm-hmm. and to be, you have to sometime to train differently. So people have interpreted that sometimes in the wrong way. So I've seen like clubs where there's no more running, no much effort, no much things. And their players start to look like shot maker and they lose badly. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to fight. Mm-hmm. So we have to just be, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. So in a summary, the points are longer than they were in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So don't think, oh, in the 90s it was eight shot, now it's three, four. Now it was 1.5, now it's three. Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay. first thing. And it didn't stop the Spaniard to make these depletion drill and have like 13 players in the top 100 for many years. Mm-hmm. So, sure. so sure. we have to be careful about how we proceed that. Then when you develop a player, they have to be a performer. And what is the quality that you need to play under pressure? There's also other variables. And if you want to be tennis fit and if you want to, uh, there's a lot of variables. And again, and shot three is not always an attacking shot. That's very important. Right. And, yes. and the match are decided on second serve. Mm-hmm. And what do you need to be able to hold your serve on second serve? It's not by practicing attacking shot because you start the point rallying or defending. And uh, that's it. Mm-hmm. So and very then, long answer. No. <laughs> but uh, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a touchy topic. That's why I touch a bit my, uh, my, my nerve, which is as a coach. It's people that. just see just see these stats and suddenly they change everything and they just make practice, go for it on the third shot and they think now they'll develop the next uh, world champion now. Mm-hmm. It won't happen. Mm-hmm. They may even, their players may even be worse than they were in the past. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Very true. No. And it's, you know, to me, it's interesting that, you know, so many training sessions and lessons are uh, centered around ground strokes and, you know, like I say, service practice when you're tired and at the end of your practice session often. And, uh, you know, whereas the serve should potentially be practiced first and the cutting of the point needs to be looked at first while you're fresh, while you have that energy, while you're uh, ready to go much more. So, yeah. you know, we don't yeah. see that very much in clubs and in lessons. No, no, not very much. And the return, forget it, even less. In, so in if the these stats uh, have changed a culture to give more respect to practicing return and serve, then that's fantastic. Yeah. But, uh, but the stats should not also impair like working hard on the court. Of course, of course, of course. Because all the top players work quite hard on the court. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and within, within a double steam, quite often, you know, we see the double steam going on and practicing together, taking lessons together as, as, as a team. How much do you work individually with a player, with one of the players of a team versus them together if you're looking at sort of a, a weekly schedule? Uh, at the professional level, most of the training in doubles are always with two. It's rare we train at four. It's, it's very, very difficult. So 
when so, it's it's kind of always individual kind of because when someone served to the other one serve and one return so the guy has objective when he serve and the other guy has objective when he return so i stay at the middle and i will say to the hey be careful here remember we say this we say that in the server hey remember your rhythm so you you can do what we call a semi-private lesson mm-hmm. and uh, individual objective it's quite easy Yes. When the guy practices volleys, the other guy practices to keep the ball over the net. So he has some objective on his round throat. The guy at the net has some objective with his volleys. So you can make a semi-private quite uh, quite quickly. And uh, so so there's not very issue. And and if you want to compete, me at my level, I cannot play real points with the guy. So when they're two together, they serve and they can create like very competitive situation. But I organized a competitive situation. So, for example, you had the net, okay? And the points start where the guy chipped the ball to you. And you have to be quick enough to look to win the point with a good angle with drop volley. Then I throw the ball easy and the guy smacked the ball at you, you know? And this time I expect the guy at the baseline to win the point more. But you don't want to lose at the net. So we always practice offense neutral defense. And if you're at the baseline, the point starts with he send you an easy ball and you start the rally cross court with you attacking the first shot. And the guy has to try to get back into the point. Or it starts by you sending attack. Okay, once the guy attack you and the other time you attack him. Right. And you try to see. So we do some rally tempo, try to see who's going to do that. But we do also offense defense and defense offense. So we do that with the ground strokes, we do that with the volleys. And I find it's better to have semi-private lesson because it's not all the coaches who are as good as you as a player mm-hmm. to match up any top players in front of them. Mm-hmm. And me, for sure, I cannot. So I prefer to train them both together. And sometimes the partner becomes the hitting partner for five minutes. That's how I want to improve the volley reflex. So it's hard and maybe I don't focus on the guy because they can hit hard without missing. So I focus on how to deal better with the volley. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy gets five minutes hard to their partner. So they became like hitting partners. So sometimes I do semi-private right at the same time, or sometimes five minutes I have a hitting partner and I focus on one player and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's how I, I do that. Mm-hmm. And it could happen after they train that one of the players said, could you uh, give me half hour by myself to work on my serve or to work on the volley? And then that, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I find in the pro tournament, we're lucky to have hitting partners. So then I request a hitting partner to come and serve to them and do this. Yeah. So we're quite lucky in the pro tour. We have all, all the balls we want. We have courts. We have hitting partners. Yeah. So it's quite an easy yeah. life. I think at the club, it's a, a bit more difficult. But yeah. I know your level, at least at the club with club members, you can generate that hitting partner skills. Mm-hmm. which will be tougher for you then to do that with Chapavalov and stuff like this. Of course. You may, yeah. find that, you may find that your ball doesn't come fast enough. So it's always relative. Yeah. Um, I hope it answered your question. Yeah, yeah, I think you were saying private or semi-private. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, but, uh, yeah it, it definitely answered it. And it makes full sense that you know, both players are creating the challenges for each other and you know, they're yeah. at a similar level. So um, yeah. it makes sense. Now, when you are, um, what was I going to say? There was one more thing that I wanted to ask you about that. I have a good thought, and it's completely gone left <laughs> my mind. 
Well, that's, I appreciate that. That's mean you're completely absorbed and focusing on what I say. I was, I was. So you're not just focusing on your next question. No, I was. Which, uh, by the way, you can edit that part, but I don't like when people ask questions. And you can feel the only thing that matters for them is oh. to look at their paper and when you finish, ask the question. Mm. If you don't feel them engaged, you feel it just like it's more an interrogation than an interview, you know? Oh, no, I know. I, I hate that as well. And, and I've, I've gone through that a lot and I don't enjoy that. Like yeah. with you, I don't know how long we've been doing the interview so far, but your, yeah. your listening skill, your involvement, your facial expression, I feel like I'm really talking to you and not Thank just you answering. Much. Thank you. I don't feel I'm just answering questions to <laughs> match your needs. But well, uh, I'm, enjoying, I'm enjoying seeing you and listening to you and talking to you. So, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, so, so it goes well. So you yeah. can regroup and find your next question. Of course. Yes, no problem at all. Um, yeah, I'll have a couple more questions, really. Um, you know, within, within developing someone's uh, net play and approaching the net, what would you say the most important skills are to have uh, to be a successful net player, whether it's singles or doubles? Um, you know, we see some players in the club level being a natural at the net and really enjoying going forward while others are afraid of it and, you know, feel like the net is the biggest enemy. And um, so, yeah, if you can elaborate on any of that that you, that you do on a daily basis. Okay. First of all, like you say, I will individualize my coaching. So my approach to someone who's afraid of the net mm -hmm. will be different than someone who's not afraid of the net, but it's not good. So let's say you're not afraid of the net, but your technique is awful. It's obvious I'll teach you a good technique and that's it. But someone could have a decent technique like me now, I'm 67. Mm -hmm. If I go to the net and you hit hard, I'll start to be uncomfortable. My technique can be good, but I could start to be afraid to get hit. And I was hit uh, lately once or twice, so mm -hmm. the fear just expands. So if it's uh, more about the fear yeah. of a member, I will address that by feeding the ball short distance. Here I, have a, I will show them to not wait like this, but to whoop, wait with the back and grip that protects our body. So I will not teach by the book. I will teach, okay, just be sure you can protect your body and I will feed the ball uncomfortably. And they say, okay, I can protect myself. Mm -hmm. Now I say, keep that grip for your back end volley. So with your back end volley, practice what's on your left side, practice on you and just change when it goes up. Other which I <laughs> just change to we go, but your your end, the ball of your end will be behind your racket. So even if the ball is uncomfortable, you'll be okay. So mm -hmm. I make them secure that they can deal with balls coming at them. Because when they're afraid of the net, there's three fears. Fear of getting hit, which is the worst. So you have to make them secure on that. Fear of getting pass. We talked about it earlier in their communication. You're right if they have an easy shot, but you're not right if they have a tough shot. It won't happen. And the fear of getting love, which is at which distance do I play from the net to not getting love. And there's a possibility to anticipate if people can love or not. Sometimes it's so obvious with the swing or the ball is low because you volley and they have a topspin, uh, X-ring grip and the ball is low. There's no way they're going to make a topspin love or whatever. Or you know their tendencies and some guys are macho. For them, doing a love is like a showing they're incompetent. So some will never love. So there's a way also to address the different fears. And the most common that I teach is look where's the service line. If you cross a lob is slow, you're not that slow. You're not, you know, you can cross the line before a lob and no ball will love you. So there's a bit some strategy to deal with fears. Now, when the fears are gone, 
and they're okay, then this is where you can really start coaching. There's no point of coaching if the fears is there. It's like the inner game of tennis presented in 1974. If you throw a ball and the person say, bounce, it, and they're so nervous when the ball, don't tell them to get more sideways, bend your knees. They're in an anxious mode. So you have to, the inner game was that they can say, bounce, it, with a calm voice, looking at the dot on the ball, just focusing on the ball. And, mm-hmm. and when they were relaxed, then the coaching could start. So I think it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it, 50 years ago? Same thing. The inner self has to be ready for coaching. Mm-hmm. Then when I coach a volley, I like the integrated approach, which means all the performance factors has to be there. So the athletic side has to be there. The focus, I make them volley trajectories, not outcome. Uh, all the doubles players improve a lot when they have to volley lower the net, not baseline, not short, just like if the net is there. Whoop, I don't know where I got to do it. I know what I mean. Volley, you volley always trajectories, base. So the first, it takes two dots to make a trajectory at least. So the first dot is the impact point. The second dot is the net. So you're going to hit down on the high ball, level on a medium ball and high, but not too high on a low ball. So the net is the focus to create trajectories. And the advantage of that is the target becomes very close to you. So you have a feeling, yeah, I can do that. And if you make them target on the baseline, they may push, they may pop it up, they may try to hit hard, so the ball go that far. And for me, the, the distance is unimportant. It's mostly controlling trajectory. Mm-hmm. So I developed a, a focus to the technique and outcome of what to do with the technique instead of coaching a model. Mm-hmm. And then I teach three uh, sets of volleys, volleying with the hand, or over, yes, yeah. volleying with the forearm, and volleying with the arm. And each technique I relate to proximity of, of the net. Mm-hmm. More you're close to the net, you won't volley with your arm. But if you're at midcourt, if you volley just with your hand, the ball won't, won't go anywhere. So mm-hmm. at midcourt, you make more approach volley with your full arm and body. And even weight transfer close to the net, you make a lot of uh, just deviation to finish it and drop shot and angle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the forearm is mostly used when the ball is high to generate more pace close to the net or midcourt, or when you stretch to save a ball, like a stretch and to reach out and defensive. Mm-hmm. So when I show this main strokes, I put them in offense and twelve defense. So close to the net reflex, close to the net uh, soft medium ball put away, and close to the net like easy ball power that the ball bounce over the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, approach volley, if you serve in volley, approach volley against a tough return mm-hmm. with power, a tough return with angle requiring like you stretch, a medium return that it's neutral, and uh-huh. some easy return where you keep running and make an angle or a hard at the receiver's partner. So I always mix up offense and control defense, which is key for ground strokes or volley. Develop few type of sensation with the hand, forearm, and the arm. Uh, focus on trajectories. And uh, that's it after that. Develop racket work, body work, footwork, according to the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would say that after a month of training them like this, they, they have improved like, triple their level and just even just the trajectory it's already yeah. improved in the, the I've been like tra- I've been training like sometime mm-hmm. just in the 
tournament leading to the Australian Open. Uh, with two girls at Fed Cup, they were losing every practice set against a few players. They were going nowhere and missing so many volleys. We just didn't give that. And they make an upset, make the third round, like barely missing a volley. And it was not like I changed her technique, I just changed. Don't try to win the point, just focus on keeping the ball lower the net. And they were just beside the net, so they started to not miss anything. So this is more powerful than people may think. Mm -hmm. no, so that... do you have more specific question about uh, improving a net player? No, that, <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> that really covered it. Thank you. Yeah, okay. the trajectories are, are, are a big one. We've experienced yeah. so often when you bring a target closer to the player, uh, how much easier it is to hit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I mean, just generally, you know, during this time when, you know, people have a little more time at home there, um, you know, are there any books that you're reading or that you recommend? I always have a good takeaway from you. I never work as hard as right now. <laughs> Uh, because I was the only coach not on furlough. Furlough is an ang English expression. You're, you're, you're not sack, you're not uh, fired, mm -hmm. uh, you, but you're not allowed to work at all. The government give uh, each national coach 2,500 pounds a month, mm -hmm. and the federation complete their salary, if they have to, up to 80% of their salary. So each national coach are sure to have 80% of their salary. And because they're not paid all the same amount, they receive at least 2,500 for government mm -hmm. a month. And if they need 500, 1,000 or 2,000 more by the federation, they give that. Me, I was not on furlough, I was paid uh, usual 100%. And my mission was to give Zoom presentation to develop a common knowledge and terminology to the men department, women department, under 18, regional center, national academies, mm. county coaches. So it was like two meetings a week for each group. And I was having a few other things like with the players and all this. So my my day nine to six was on delivering these presentation, the player and all this. But I have to prepare these presentation, these PowerPoints, find the videos. So then I could not during the day. So when you think I was doing it at night times, Mm -hmm. After my son go to bed because I wanted to spend six to nine, six to eight, eight thirty with him. Mm -hmm. So nine to midnight, but that was enough, not enough, wow. to prepare, find the clips. So I had to go like in the workshop I give, find a session where I give a workshop on that topic to show how to teach it, because my strength is to give all the workshop and presentation kind of live on court. You know, I'm not a PowerPoint presentation. Most of my presentation are live on the court where I can demonstrate. Yeah. But now I could not demonstrate how to teach it. So I have to go to workshop of conference and find a trip where I show that footwork. I show this, I show that. It took me ages to look through the, all the videos and find the right clips. Yeah. So I had to do that also in the weekends, like at least about 15, 20 hours during the weekend. And so I was working pretty much. 9 a.m. till 11.30 midnight and 20 hours in the weekend. I never work as hard and wow. I've sustained that for two months. Wow. Now I'm so relieved because the, all the British coaches are back to work now with their players. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of two meetings a week, it went down to one because they want to keep on doing this. They find it's, it's a good platform to do Zoom and they learn a lot from that. But with one meeting a week, I don't have to renew all the content for the week after. I have kind of two weeks to prepare. 
So now my weekend, I work just four hours a day in the weekend instead of eight hours a yeah. day in the weekend. So, but I still have to work at night. Mm -hmm. So my, so why do I all say that? Didn't have time to read a book. Didn't have time to look at any series. Didn't have time to look at TV. Didn't have time to do anything than just surviving that. Yeah. The reason I accept that is I felt I can make a difference because now every national coach know about the integrated approach and he, uh, they know about the game base really well. Mm -hmm. uh, they all know about the footwork, how to present that with the head, heart, legs, mm -hmm. tactical, technical side of footwork. We have all the same terminology. So instead of a straight stance or neutral stance, close stance, they know it's neutral stance. We'll all use that. Even something as easy as sidestep of shuffle step, we agree it will be shuffle step. Mm -hmm. Didn't really matter for me, but it's not like one coach called that. So we all agree. One of their purpose is to have a common terminology, common knowledge, so that we look like we're a real team at the LTA. That's so good. to be able to succeed, to contribute to that was a very good motivator for me to work very hard mm -hmm. and to make good presentation. Yeah. So it was, it was, and I have to learn how to use Dartfish, how to make PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. You will see next time my PowerPoint, I've diagram model, it's not just wording. <laughs> I've learned that you can put dots and uh, just key points and you can turn these dots with a smart heart into like a real nice presentation. Really? Okay. So, I learned, so I learned about technology, how to embed a clip so that it's there. You don't have to have the real original clip with it. Uh, I learned a lot of things, so that was quite useful. Yeah, it's definitely been a time of learning. Yeah, <laughs> a learning and adjustments for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, te technology learning, how to make breakup rooms in Zoom, how to do this, how to do that. Um, I know. So that was an interesting. But unfortunately, I have a lot of uh, books like I wanted to learn, like uh, read there beside me. Mm -hmm. And I barely cover maybe 50 pages. Uh, oh. I, I don't think I read more than 50 pages a month. Wow. And normally I read a book a week, so I was really... <laughs> I was really over overload, but I didn't feel burnout. I was enjoying the contribution I was doing and well, that's good. quite enjoying it. That's good. When we feel like we're contributing something uh, great or good, it, yeah. uh, it doesn't feel like work. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Just like this interview so far and uh, all your questions and everything, I really appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, thank you for doing this with me. It's a pleasure. I think you have a lot of editing to do because... <laughs> Yeah, I will not feel upset if you cut some answers like by twice or two or no. you can package it. I give you the permission to package it the way you want to yeah, make it interesting. Sure. And, I'll, and I'll be sure to send it to you so you see it as well, of course. Okay. Yeah. So all the best, your host. So thank you very so much, Louis. Hey, say hi to Rebecca. I will. Thank Take you. Care. Take care. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye.